0: Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. In 1588, Spain decided that they wanted to take over England. Multiple reasons. But one of the reasons was because England had turned away from Roman Catholicism and it had become a Protestant country and Spain wanted to change that back. And so they sent the, the Spanish Armada, you may have heard that term before, uh, there was fighting going on, but then something happened. A huge storm came And blew the Spanish Armada in a totally different direction where they could not attack England. And they had to go around. You know how much history would have changed if England had been conquered and became a Roman Catholic country? That would have changed so many things. A major event in world history, the outcome was huge. Back in the 1700s, here in the United States. You know, we have this, these issues going on between the, the states here and, and England, and they are, uh, it culminates in a declaration of independence and stating what was really new new ideas into the, uh, it's new ideas actually based on real old truth, but new ideas that we said people's rights are given by God and are grounded in Him. And the United States was formed and the Constitution, and certainly not a perfect country by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, where would things be in the world if that had not happened? You know, the things that, has, that America has done in the world would not have happened. Uh, how about the Civil War? You know, there was a time in the Civil War where it looked like the South would win. And and course, um, I don't know here, you know, I am talking in New England. I don't know what, you know, some people still wish the South had won. But the reality is, is if the South had won, we would be a very different country today. Things would be very, very different. And I don't think in a good way. Okay? Um, World War II. What if Hitler had won? What if Hitler had succeeded in exterminating every Jewish person? that he could find. Uh, the world would be totally different, right? We come to these, these major events in history that if they don't go this way, everything is different than we know and not in a good way. Well, the passage of Scripture we're going to look at today records something just like that. That if the, uh, it had not gone the way that it did, Christianity would not be what we know it to be today. Now, I understand God is sovereign. God had a plan. God carried it out. But I'm talking about the people who were there at that time and what they were discussing had huge ramifications. And really what they were discussing is, well, let's get in the scripture. We'll get it there, okay? Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible with you today, that's on, uh, you can find it on page 1307 in the Bible that's under the chairs there in front of you. We really encourage you to follow along. I think you find it very helpful if you follow along. Chapter 15. It says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. So, okay, so from Judea, that was the the Jewish stronghold, and and, and, uh, even in the Christian church, right? Do we know that the first Christians were Jewish? We, we get that we talked about that in the last couple of weeks we have. Uh, that they were Jewish and so they, even though they became believers in Christ, they were still very Jewish in their approach to life. Sometimes Jewish even in their understanding of what the, the law was for. And we see this happening here. They've heard, remember, the gospel has gone out, people are becoming Christians all over the world, the Gentiles are getting saved. So these people went on a mission, and certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. All right, so basically they're saying, yeah, this, this, the Christ is the Messiah, and yes, he did die for our sins, but you know what, you have to become Jewish in order to be saved by him. And that's the idea of circumcision. I think probably, I assume everybody here knows what circumcision is. If you don't, talk to someone that you trust who can tell you what it is. But it was a requirement for the Jewish men. They were to be circumcised when they were infants, but that was a requirement. And it really, it's kind of the most radical part of the Jewish law, you might say. And so it really, when they talked about circumcision, they're, they're talking about the whole Jewish law. It encompassed everything. They even called, them, they called the, the Jewish people the circumcision. Okay? But so it's a reference to the whole idea of the whole Jewish law. And so what they're really saying is you've got to become a Jew if you want to be saved by Christ. Now that's a very different message, isn't it, than the Bible actually teaches. But what if they had prevailed? Right? Things would be very different today, wouldn't they? In fact, what we would find is that Christianity, and once again, I say we step back in God's sovereignty and we know what he did, but Christianity would have become just one division of Judaism. Just like you have the, the Orthodox and the conservative and the Reform, there would be the Christian branch of Judaism. And um, it would not be the world's largest religion. It would be a small sect. Of the Jewish religion. So that's what I'm talking about these major events, how this goes. We read the story and go, yeah, but really it's much bigger than that, what was going on here. All right, so they're adding you have to become Jewish, you have to keep the Jewish law in order to be saved. Verse two, therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem. To the apostles and elders about this question. But that when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, no small, that's an interesting way to put it, right? They had a what? A really big dissension with them. Really big dispute about this. Apostle Paul, we know from his letters and his preaching that he's saying, there's no way. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus kept all that for us. Okay? And, and there's lots of good stuff in it, but we do not have to do any of those things to be saved. We are not saved by works. We cannot be saved by works. It's impossible. makes all of that so clear. And so when he's hearing this gospel, he has no choice but to what? Dispute. To stand up against this. Jude talks about this in his writings. He said, I I wanted to write this to you, but I had to write something else. And so he says this. He says, I find that I must write urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. That's to us. He has entrusted us with this gospel. And we need to make sure that we get it right and we keep it right. And when things kind of start to come in sometimes from other influences that really aren't right, we need to say, whoa, no, no, that's not right. By the way, that's one of my jobs as a pastor is to say, to help to protect us when false doctrine starts to make its way in. Uh, The Apostle Paul, uh, talking about this issue, he he writes the book of Galatians really addressing this issue. And he says this, he says, uh, let's go back one, I think. There we go. Oh, no, I'm sorry, you're right. He talks about something that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. Okay, so the gospel that was being preached here was, oh, it is good news. You can be saved. All you got to do is become a Jewish person and follow the Jewish law. And he says, that's not the good news. That's not the gospel. So it's, it's, it's not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. And go to the next one. He says, let God's curse, this is how strong Paul feels about it. And no small dissension is an understatement. Okay? Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news, a different kind of gospel than the one we preach to you. Okay, And then he says this, I say again, I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news, any other gospel, than the one you welcome, let that person be accursed. How important is it that we get the gospel Right. Well, people's eternal destinies hang in the balance, don't they? Okay, it's really important. We can't just kind of say, "Well, yeah, okay, you see it that way. That's fine, or whatever." We need to be clear on this as a church. We need to be clear on this as Christians. So let's talk about this, the gospel. How do we keep this clear? Okay. Well, gospel is about our salvation, isn't it? That word salvation means we're being saved from something. We're being, how are we saved from the consequences of our sin for all eternity? When we stand in judgment before God and, and, and we are judged, you know, how, how's that judgment gonna go down? What's it about? How do we not find ourselves in hell because we're guilty at that judgment? So this idea of salvation, what is it? How do we get saved? And, and in the uh, 1500s when the Reformation occurred, they really came to, to they gra- um, grappled with this and came down to really three statements that I think capture most of it. Okay, say We are saved by grace alone. By grace means it's God's doing. He's the one who is an issue. He's the one who has decided to save us. Okay, we may not like the answer to this question, but do you deserve to be forgiven and go to heaven? No, you don't. By the way, not me either, but we don't, okay? So we're saved by grace alone. God has chosen to love us and to provide a way for us to be saved. It's God's doing by grace alone. Secondly, through faith alone. In other words, this is when we talk about putting our trust in Jesus, what he did. He died on the cross for our sins, rose again from the dead, and we know we sinned. We put our faith in Jesus to be our savior so that those sins are forgiven and so that we receive eternal life. Through faith alone means not by works. And our story here is real real clear, right? They were trying to add, you got to keep the Jewish law to be saved. No, 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 faith alone. Man, the Apostle Paul is so clear on this multiple times in the Scripture. The Holy Spirit led him to write, it is by faith alone. It's not by works. He says, we know this, that no man, no woman, no human being is ever justified by keeping the works of the law. You can't earn it. Because how good do you have to be to make it to heaven on your own? You have to be as good as Jesus. Which means you have to be God. Guess what? You're not. I'm not. We've all failed. And so once we've failed, that means we have failed. And it's forever failure. Uh, and so he says there's nothing you can do to fix it. It's by faith. It's by coming and putting your trust in Jesus. And then, it, as I just sort of said, in Christ alone. That's what our faith is in. Our faith is not in Jesus and what he did for us and my efforts. It's, it's, there's nothing to add to it. It's what Jesus did this is why the Apostle Paul in his letter to 1 Corinthians he talks about. He says, When I came to you, I didn't come talking to you about this, that, or the other thing. I came to talk to you about Jesus Christ and Him crucified, what He did for us. And so we need to hold fast this gospel. Now, all right. Here's, here's the problem, and this is for these Jewish people. Uh, I mean, these people have been Jewish their whole lives, and their heritage with thousands of years. Okay, And now things are changing. Now we know, looking back, it was the fulfillment of what they had believed and done, right? We get that. But they didn't get it. They're in the middle of it. You know? And, and this idea would sort of be like if all of a sudden, and if it happened, but if, if how we preach the gospel, talk about it, if, if someone came in and said, no, 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 let me explain. Which, yes, it's good that you believe and all that, but you have to be baptized or you're not safe. Would that sit well with you? No, because we're, we believe this. Well, that's what was happening to them. And they'd been right about the Jewish law, in a sense, for their whole lives. But now things are changing. God has changed it. He's, he said the law is now fulfilled in Jesus. And so it's, it's, you don't have to be Jewish anymore to be a, one of my people, God is saying. But so under, I think, you know, let's, let's give these guys some grace. Because here's the truth. It's always hard to transition from something you thought was true to what's really true. Go ahead and go to that slide, if you would, Jim. It's always hard to transition from something you thought was true to what's really true. Okay, that's just the reality. How many of you like change to begin with? Nobody? I like change long as my idea <laughs> right but think this is ingrained in you and they're having to make changes and by the way some of you experience this and you know some of you have come from a, a roman catholic background and and you're having to change your mind about things you got the idea of god and jesus and the bible and and yet you're realizing wait a minute we've been taught that there are things we have to do in addition to believing to be saved wait a minute but that seems like a good thing shouldn't it and you're wrestling with those kinds of things. How do I do that? What is the, wait a minute, what does the Bible say? That's different than what, it's not easy. It's hard, especially if you grow up in it, okay? Uh, You know, to set aside, I think, for the Roman Catholic, the the guilt motivation, because there's, at least from what I've heard, I've I've never been Roman Catholic, okay? But from what I've heard, a lot of people struggle with this guilt because they never can be quite good enough, right, they they never, what it really amounts to is that, you know, you, you're like a cup that the, grace is getting poured into. They would teach through the sacraments. We wouldn't teach that, but grace is getting poured in, but you got a leaky cup. It's always leaking, and it's, you know, and so you don't know. So that's hard. And if you've been in that situation, you know what I'm talking about. If you come from a Jehovah's Witness background, when we look at the Bible and see, what does that actually say? It says there's one God, and he exists as three persons. Boom. That, you know, that, how do I put that together? Uh, And how do I understand the relationship? And you have to work on it. Plus then you have, okay, all the other regulations, there's special regulations, you can't do this, you shouldn't do that, this is not appropriate, that you find out the Bible doesn't say those things, and you're like, wait, I don't feel right about, and maybe the first time you celebrate Christmas, you're going, because they don't celebrate Christmas. Not to mention, they may have put you out now and are, are shunning you. In all of this, it's hard. Change is hard. You know, uh, if you, uh, Mormon, change is hard. Mormons have so many things that they do about good ways of living, but they're wrong about Jesus, okay? They say that Jesus was once a human being like you, and he did better, and he, got, he became a god, and now he gets his own plan, et cetera, et cetera. And they, that's, you don't hear that, but that is their doctrine, Okay, And so they're striving for this kind of thing. So they come in here and we say, no, no. And we have to learn, think differently about Jesus. And, and the reason you do good work is because you have a relationship with Jesus, not so you can get a relationship or become like hard. And I guess what I want to say to us is that we um, need to give grace to the people around us, especially when they first come to the faith or even before they do and they got questions, Right? Hey, it's hard. Heart change is hard. Especially when it's really, really ingrained in you. And so, um, someone might be asking a question. So, uh, Walter, we're the ones who are right about everything? LifeSource Church. New, new, I got an idea, Dave. A new tag. LifeSource Church. We're right. <laughs> is that what's going on? No, it isn't, not at all. It's not an issue at all of whether I'm right about what I'm saying or you're right about what you're saying. It's, it's, it's really part of our Baptist heritage, heritage and it starts right here. It's not whether I'm right or you're right. Or it's what, what does the Bible say? And we do our best to get it right. Right? We keep working on it. In fact, I should, I'm still working on it today. There are things I find myself thinking. I say, wait a minute, is that what it really says? So it's not about whether I'm right Well, we're right. It's about what has God said. And that's, by the way, that's that's really important because that should keep us humble, shouldn't it? Should keep us humble. And so that when we're dealing with people who don't see it yet or aren't getting it yet, if it's not about me, I'm not going to be upset. I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going to lash out at it. No, I'm going to understand because it's what God says and they need to know it just like you and I need to know it. And so here's, if you're in that situation or you know someone in that situation who's in this position where they're having to change how they think about things and then how they live because of it, you know, here's a question that's going to come up either to you or you're going to hear it. But what about whatever, right? What about this? What about that? That's a great question. You never need to start, stop answering that question or stop asking that question, right? What as Christians, here we are. We have we, most of us here probably have known the Lord for a number of years. And do you ever examine what you really think and what you really believe? You find yourself responding to things or feeling things. You ought to say, "Well, wait a minute. But what what does the Bible really say? Am I It is possible that I've kind of grabbed onto an idea that isn't right. It is. And we need So as Christians, I mean, what's our what's the Christian reputation out there? Christians what? Know it all. They think they're right about everything and they think we're wrong about everything. All kinds we ought to be going out as people who are humble. So when they meet us and talk to us, they say, oh, you're not like that. You're still telling them, yeah, I, I do believe this. And you can tell them why. And, um, anyway, what about is a great question. So it's always hard to transition from something that you thought was true to what's really true, but it's worth it. And I've been saved now for 48 years. And it's still worth it to me today to work on what's true and change how I think, even though it's not always easy to do. We just typically don't like a lot of change. And so here's the way it's worth it. Jesus talks about this. He says this. Go ahead. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, if you stick with what I say, you are my disciples indeed. Indeed, in your deeds, you will be living like my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Real freedom, deep down inside, freedom that nobody can take away. This is one of the things that come when you make the change. Because the idea is, what did Jesus say? Wait a minute, that's not what I thought. I don't know, that's new. I learned, okay, what does that mean? Okay, now I need to try to live by it. That's... Challenging. That's hard, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Peter talks about this. He says, talking about God, he says, his divine power has given to us how many things? All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, through knowing him, go ahead, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Here you go. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, you may become more like Jesus, as we talk about doing all the time. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, it is worth it. Okay, so let's, let's read on. I was actually supposed to read a lot more of this before I said all of that. All right, so jump in here with me. Verse three. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees, and by the way, the Pharisees were probably the most committed people to the Jewish law and to the Old Testament. That's the word of God. In fact, they went overboard. But they were very serious about this. Verse 5, but some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, who had come to Jesus, rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Right? They are convinced of this. Verse 6, now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them. So Peter's going to talk about what we looked at a few weeks ago, his experience in bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Made no distinction. And for the Jewish people, their entire lives growing up, oh, there was a distinction. God had made a distinction. We are God's people. And now I say, no, anybody who will receive Christ, anybody who will believe, can be one of my people. This is, like I said, a huge thing. And remember, if it had gone the other way, we'd have been in big trouble. He made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore... Why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Peter really talks about what they all knew. We couldn't keep the law. It was always a burden. We always felt like we weren't good enough. God has removed that through Jesus. And then he says, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved in the same manner as they are. We are all saved the same way. If you're saved some other way, you're not saved, okay? One way. We all come before God on equal footing as far as being sinners. Um, We all come that the peace provided one way for us to be saved by putting our faith in Jesus, his death and resurrection, one way. Have you ever experienced any discrimination against you in life? Where someone got treated better than you? Anybody? We've all had that experience and feel that. We all come to God equal. Same level. We're all saved the same way. And that's what Peter's saying here. He says, Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James, this is James uh, who's leading the church in Jerusalem, but he's also the half-brother of Jesus who didn't believe until after Jesus rose from the dead. But so he's leading at this point, and he says, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it's written. He's saying, Simon's getting this right. Simon, Simon Peter. And he quotes some scripture. He says, after this... I will return, it's God speaking, and will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up. And here's what he wanted to get to. So that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. By the way, God knows what he's doing, always has, always will. He says, therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. We shouldn't make it difficult for people to receive Christ. We shouldn't make it hard for them to hear the gospel. You know, and I'm so grateful. You guys as a church really overall are very good about being open and accepting and meeting people where they're at. I I really I like to brag on you sometimes when I'm out with other pastors about that but you understand how important it is that if someone walks in the door and they don't look like we look they aren't dressed like we dress they don't seem maybe they know quite how to how they're supposed to act in church we shouldn't make it hard for them we should love them we should be open to them we should engage with them right how, how could you make it hard? Ignore them. Make them feel out of place. Right? And the same thing's going on in your own lives out there in the world, too. But he says this But that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, from blood. And you say, What's that? With strangled and blood, those were all part of the Jewish law. But here's, he says, Why? He says, For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. What he's saying is that, by the way, when the gospel went out, what religion was Jesus to start with? He was Jewish, okay? He had to be. He was the Jewish Messiah who now as we see is the Savior of the world. What were the religion of the first believers? It's not a trick question. They were Jewish, okay? This whole Gentile thing is a brand new idea to them, um, and what he's saying is, so, let me back up. So whenever you know, Paul went out, we see him doing it, other disciples, when they went into a new city where they had never preached the gospel, where did they try to go first? To the Jewish synagogue. Why? Well, because those people already believed the Bible, the Old Testament that they had, they already believed it. They knew there was a Messiah coming. They are this audience that's ready to hear it. Now, it doesn't mean they all get saved, <laughs> but they were ready to hear it, Okay. And what he's saying here is if Gentile believers do things that are so offensive to the Jewish people, how are they going to be able to share the gospel with them? And so he says to the Gentiles, these aren't things they have to do to be Christians. No, they're already believers. And he says, so, but he says, stay away from these things which would get in the way of you being able to share the gospel with the Jewish people. Okay? So it's the idea of setting aside things that they might not otherwise set aside. So let's look at some conclusions of the conference here. If I read the rest of the story, what happens is they send out an official letter and it goes out. It's telling them that we are not teaching what those people were teaching. The gospel is this. And so first one is that Gentiles do not have to become, they don't have to live by Jewish laws to be saved. Pretty clear, we've seen it, right? They don't have to. It's about Jesus. It's not about those laws. The second thing is that believers shouldn't unnecessarily offend people who need to know Jesus. Don't do that. Don't do that. All right? So, what conclusions do we draw for us from this passage? Well, I think the first one is this Doctrine matters. What we believe really matters. We should know what we believe and why we believe it. And I I would just have to say to you that I, I don't think that. Coming here, even if you come every week, every Sunday, and you hear that you are getting enough to really know what you believe and why you believe it, that is my bent to try to help you to, to see and understand. But you need more than this. You need to go to a Bible study afterwards. You need to get into a Bible study when it's offered. And you know, you may be you get in a life group, okay, and we can help you with that. Um, but we need more. We need a lot, and we need to be in the Word on our own. We need to be reading it, pondering it, trying to understand, and here's the deal. I, I mean, I say it, it doesn't happen nearly as much as it used to, but I'll read the Word today and read it and go, hey, wait a minute. Huh, I hadn't seen it that way before. I, and I was like, You're not gonna outgrow your need to be in the Word and learning and understanding your doctrine. What you believe. Really, really important. That's boring. No, it's important. And it affects how you live. Because it affects your view of the world. And what your view of the world is. What God is like. And how does he work. And what's the expectations here. And what are the principles. Those things affect how you live your lives. And and Dave will vouch with me. that. But we find. You know, you come to us because your life is in upheaval. Almost always we can sit down and look and say. Oh, you don't understand this truth from the Scripture." It's like when Jesus, uh, they, they challenged uh, Jesus and he says, you're, mis- you're making mistakes because you don't know the scripture. Okay, it's really, really important. Second, we should, and this, is, is, this flows out of this, you, we should always be growing in our knowledge and understanding of the truth and then living by that truth. Always growing. The, Bob Richmond, can you hear me? Can you hear me, Bob? Yeah. He can, okay, I gotta talk loud to Bob. How old are you now? Going on 81. Going on 81. Do you still need to learn and grow and understand and live by the truth? Yeah, you probably realize it more than ever, don't you? Okay? That's the reality. That's what it's about to be Christian. That's how we're growing to be like the Lord. And the third one, the challenge for us. Love compels us to value the well-being of others over our personal preferences. This is Christian love. You know, and I'm not even going to try to go into the list of what our preferences might be. But I want to say at the heart of it, we ought to be able to look and say, if, if this thing that's in my life is not required of me by God, because it's my choice, and I see that this is really kind of getting in the way of other people, or it's hurting other people, causing them to struggle, what's my choice? What's the Christian choice? To lay down. I don't have to do that. Now, maybe just a little more pointed here for us as a church, and then we'll, we'll end. You yeah, know, look around today. There's still seats, aren't there? There's still seats available around you? Okay, there are, so there's still room. I get that. But think about what do we do as a church if we are faithful and we actually keep reaching people? We have new people coming in and the attendance grows and the attendance grows, you know? And, um, what are we going to do? We have to seek the Lord, right? Pray, 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 and to get his leadership and all that kind of stuff. But you know what's most likely going to have to happen? Something will have to change. Well, I don't like that change. we've already kind of been through this in the history of our church you know sounds like a satellite from somewhere right (laughs) beaming in Um, if you had come to church here back in 1982 when I first came here church although we're doing the same kinds of things church was different Melanie loved the hymn book ha 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 she didn't but we sang hymns out of the hymn book and it was great worship I loved it I preached out of the King James Version the old King James the these the thous the withers and loved it um, but the, it just seemed very clear that the Lord led us along the way to make some changes that we don't do what I loved anymore Well, there are churches out there where the pastor said, no, we're not making those changes, right? And if they think that's what God wants them to do, that's fine, they need to do that. But what I'm trying to say is we have to be willing to see what really matters and what's really important and be willing to make changes. And you say, oh no, Walt's got an agenda. He's got ideas he wants to share with us. No, I honestly don't. That's not where I'm at. But I'm just saying, we as a people better stay open to God-led change, even if it's something we would never choose for ourselves. The mission is that important. God and the gospel are that important. And uh, I think I'll just stop. Let's stop. Father, we come to you. And I thank you, Father, that the gospel and our salvation was important enough to you that you sent your only son and allowed him to suffer the greatest unrighteousness that ever happened as he died paying for our sins. Thank you that we can be saved because of it. I pray, Lord, that you would keep us loving you, work in our lives, we love you, work in our lives that we would be serious about growing in our understanding of your word and what it means in our lives. And then, Lord, that we would love you and our fellow man enough to be willing, if need be, if need be, to set aside things that we really like and care about. Help us to love like you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.